Everybody, welcome again to Show to Be with Mike G, the show of a life, the show of Fonda San Miguel, the show of Mescal, the show of LA Varnish, Eric Alperin, Sasha Petroshki. Today is an amazing day because it is May 15th, 2016, and it marks the 40th birthday of the fine Chris Bostic. This conversation covers it all. There are lots of things I didn't know about Chris. There's lots of things I did know about Chris, but this covers the transition into the industry, the transition from playing saxophone to drama to cocktails to waiting tables to wine. This covers it all, and there's no better time to release this than today on Chris's 40th birthday. Now, of course, Half Step remains one of the cocktail meccas of Austin, but something that's also very important about this conversation is you know, we touch on talking about Sasha Petrosky and that massive loss to the industry that we've all suffered. But a lot of the times we don't get the insight because people didn't work as closely with Sasha as Chris did in developing and working through the concept of Half Step. So there's a great segment in this conversation where we really get some good insight into Sasha as a person. And regretfully, I've never was able to meet him. But I hope that through the people that loved him and the people that were inspired by him, his voice and his legacy can live on. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this amazing chat with Chris Bostic. It's also Uh-oh. it's also quite entertaining to sit up there right after we have stopped letting people in. Yeah. And just look across to the absolute shit show that is the food court at 2 a.m on rainy street on a friday or saturday night it is you you want to see one of the gnarliest cross sections of human behavior that's where you stand for prison experiment across the street right oh man it's you see it all do you ever get entangled in that no never fuck it we're yeah we're protected by a fence (laughs) and you know it's almost like we're invisible sitting on that patio nobody really you know, can tell that we're there. Well, they're so focused on the food. We're we're the ultimate fly it's the on the wall. The scent of blood in the water. Yeah, right. Like they're just like going and they're going and trying to get the food. It's perfect. So how long has Half Step been at that spot? So we're talking about three years now. So we signed the lease in April of 2012. Okay. And it, we didn't actually open our doors um, officially until uh, February 4th of 2014. My 34th birthday. Ah, uh, that's right. How nice we shared, of you, Yes, yeah, so I remember that. <laughs> yeah. I remember sharing on that. But uh, the very first party that we threw in the space mm-hmm. was uh, New Year's Eve 2013 to 2014. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, I, I guess it's past the point now. I don't think they could uh, bust me for saying this, but we weren't allowed to have people in there yet. We didn't have oh, really? A, we, didn't, we didn't have a certificate of occupancy. Occupancy, yeah. <laughs> and so I just said, you know what? I'm going to throw a party anyway. <laughs> <laughs> without running water right uh we did have lights mm-hmm. uh we had heat because that was a pretty cold new year's eve 
Um, we didn't have the uh, the railing put in. Yeah. We had to bubble wrap the iron straps that were protruding from the bar. Oh, shit. Um, we didn't even have a yard yet. We had a porta potty out back for the men to use, mm-hmm. and we made a deal with the neighbor so that the gals could go to the restroom. Sure. Um, and we threw a raucous party in there, and it was just the kind of energy that I really wanted to see injected into this space that didn't quite have a soul yet, didn't quite right. have a, um, it didn't have its own identity or life yet. Yeah. And so I, 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 I always look to that as the as like kind of the defining moment. Yeah, it's kind of the insiders. Um, anniversary date for half step yeah was you know new year's eve and then you know we uh after a couple of weeks when we got our official co we did the official after party for speed rack austin right right that year and then that was you know that was pretty wild and incredible you know i'm, I'm watching my business partner sasha petrosky walk around and bussing glassware which <laughs> you know to know sasha is is is, and to know how you know idiosyncratic he was, yeah, it was no surprise to me. But there were people in the room that that guy were that's like, like Brad Pitt. They were bussing like, he's, my he's, table, he's bussing tables and polishing <laughs> yeah. glassware, and and that was more defining moments for me to 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 have worked with him, you know, for so long up up to that point, yeah, uh, and get half step open, and then you know Jason Cosmos and I are in the back polishing glassware, just laughing, yucking it up, yeah, um, you know, just because. It, finally all the like all that hard work and then you see people in there and and you know those who have been a part of openings and are, are owners as well they know this feeling and and uh it, it truly was magical and it's like those those are the moments that that i remember the most vividly because they were just so so visceral you yeah know? and and then you know this was the big joke then we finally had our official grand opening which was february 4th yes i remember i I definitely remember yeah and that was and that was a big night too (laughs) so so there's these little you know these little ones that the first two were kind of like you know wink wink nudge nudge you remember that night yeah and then the official one you got you got to make it official at some point but does it it's like a kid man right it's like having a kid It, it it really is and you know that to me, that was, you know, that that was a big, a big moment, and ha- not having kids, yeah, um, and you know, having, you know, just in 2015, gone through a divorce and yeah. and and all of this stuff. I mean, you know, the the time that it takes and the nurturing that it that it needs, and and you know, and the the way that it makes you feel. I mean, it's definitely a roller coaster of emotions. Oh, it is. It's so polarizing. It's it it. It really is. It's you know, it's something that requires a lot of your to to do well. It requires a lot of your you know your love and attention and, right. and nurturing and and uh, and you know, it's like we we got half step up and running. And I remember kind of wearing a different hat and appreciating how intense the pressure was of getting it built yeah. and the 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 pressure to to open it up and then the immense amount of pressure that I'd put on myself to, for it to be good right. and to perform. Because well, I mean, like, it's like your set of standards. So it is the prodigal, the prodigal son returns, right? You come back from LA. Yeah. So you're coming back and then we'll go through this whole story, but like you come back, obviously the expectations, well, why is Boston coming back? It's, could he not cut it up in, in LA? What, what, what's the fucking deal? 
But no, you come to release this amazing thing. So were you even getting sleep at night? Coming back to this thing and trying to make half step work and open? There was, you know, there obviously there was a lot of opportunity and, and you know, to kind of go back. It was like I left L.A. at the top. Yeah. You know, that was the year that we won Best American Cocktail Bar. Amazing. And varnish, right? Varnish. Yeah. And and people are like, why the hell are you leaving? You know, what? like, what's, what's going on? And I was yeah. like, well, there's this thing. And I want to be back in Texas. This is home. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, as cliche as it is, you can take the boy out of Texas, but you can't take the There's Texas out of the boy. Here. There's something, something here. here. It's man. magical, especially yeah. Central Texas. It's magical down here. And so, um, so at, at that point when, you know, when I said, okay, I've never, I've opened up restaurants. I've, op- I've been a part of opening teams, but I've never yeah. been, you know, a major component of, a project to the point where, you know, if, if I fail, I'm failing myself right, in right. addition to my partners. Sure. So there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of this, this pressure to do something great. Um, and you know, uh, it's, and having been a part of something as, such as the varnish that was truly great, mm-hmm. still is truly great. And, and it's, it's a type of thing where, I wanted half step so badly to be as great as the varnish. Right. And, and, you know, there comes a lot of, you know, psychological and philosophical uh, things to juggle when you get to that point. But ultimately, and I, you know, I know a lot of people can share this sentiment, but it took me a while to realize that, that half step doesn't need to be anything but half step. Sure. And yeah, because you're going to, because if it's a reflection of you, it's like, I don't need to be anybody but myself. And that's, you know, and that, that took me a while to understand. And I, in a way, I'm glad that it took a little bit longer for, for half step to open. You know, obviously we ran into, we're, we're taking a hundred year old house that was a burned out crack house. And how I pitched this to my partners and they said, yes, let's do this (laughs) is beyond me because. Um, because the 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 absolute disrepair of the of the space when we took it over, but but the fact that we were able to to do this and and the time that it took allowed me to continue to learn and become more of a part of Austin. Because right. when I left for LA, so much had started happening after I left to the point where in LA when I came back here, you know, once a year, and I was in LA from 2007 to 2012 Mm -hmm. um anytime that i would come back you know i'd i'd want to stay involved because somewhere floating around in the back of my head the the dream of opening up my own bar the the dream of 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 being a part of something or or or, you know whether something that's kind of like on you yeah whether it be a music venue man i've had a dream of opening you know and running a music venue yeah from way back in the day when i was you know traveling around seeing bands and and uh you know and a part of that whole scene and 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 so you know but i'd also been in the industry pardon me in the industry for you know a very long time and and it was once i started to work hard and not really not really step on things to climb higher, but to work as hard as I could right. to make myself available for good things that would happen. So, so the way I look at it, and God, to personify, to, to personify 
our lives in a particular way, but is half step basically physical manifestation of you and your personality and your passions? I would say I would say that it is. And you know, it's and and having gone through kind of a rough period in my life yeah. in, in 2015 and essentially a year from now this week around South by Southwest, yeah. is, you know, when stuff kind of when things kind of started um unraveling unraveling or deteriorating deteriorating and 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 my and my relationship with my ex-wife and but you know there were there were certain things to where the bar was so intense mm-hmm. and life had become so intense and i was so outside of my comfort zone that i and it was ruining my marriage and i felt like it was ruining my life that i i started i started to resent this thing that i had built right because it in a, in a way you can blame it for setting all these things in motion right yeah the end so of I your marriage like, I was, the end of, yeah i was you know, i was and i was like god damn it bostic what the hell did you get yourself into here i know man and it was really it was really difficult and then you know to, to add the stress of continuing to go i there was a point where i kind of checked out yeah I kind of checked out and maybe but so maybe you're there but emotionally like you can't you're heartbroken in a way right totally you can't you can't just you i can't was approach you know you. You i can't was, look at it the same way yeah and and you know and i know that my staff was was could feel it my involvement was askew and it got to the point to where i just didn't i wasn't happy being there yeah. i'd love working during the days and getting all the things you know taken care of that needed to happen but i there was a point where i just didn't want i just didn't want to be there because right. I didn't feel comfortable there. Sure. Well, it's it, it. You can, in a sense, like point your finger and say, "This is the source of all my fucking trouble." Yeah. Right. Because it, it, like, you own a business, and we can we share that. You lose sleep. It's not because of your real social life. It's about the fucking business. Yeah. You know, you. I I mentioned this, and I I say soul crushing because it is, and in a sense, it to me it distorts your whole perspective of who you feel you are because this thing is pulling. It's like a black hole, right? You exist. You've got your orbit and it's just pulling you and just distorting you and you don't know how to be you. And it's, you know, you, and I guess with anything in life, it's like, I, I felt like I'd given and continue. And now, now it's kind of a different story. I've kind of, you know, I've, I've had a lot of time to reflect and heal and, and, and it's almost like I'm back. Yeah. And it feels good. And like, yeah, I can yeah. see like half stuff super healthy and it's, it's good. But I'm also, you know, I had to kind of evaluate how, you know, I was taking care of myself, sure. where my mental state is, what it was, is, you know, is, yeah, yeah. Is, will currently be. Cause you're that, you're the sun, man. It revolves around you and not uh, egotistically. Right. But you have to be the center for everybody. Yeah. And that being said, you know, it's, you know, and I, I, I want, half step i don't want to always have to be the one that half step needs to grow like i don't want to always have to be the one that's there and i think a lot of bar owners that i that i talk with kind of share the sentiment is that at a certain point obviously you're going to be there obviously you're the you know you're the the heart and soul the the, you know the lifeblood the lifeblood the you know the 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 masthead or whatnot yeah but um you know it's kind of going back to uh kind of where i was you know kind of you know whether it be right after south by or kind of leading after summer mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I traveled a lot trying to, to find what it was that I was looking for. And, and, you know, and I had a lot of fun, but at the same time, you know, I was trying to uh, escape from this thing called half step. Right. And uh, thing that keeps pulling you, pulling you back. Yeah. And, and, and what's amazing is like, you know, it, it's like half step is this amazing bar and I had this amazing, still have this amazing staff. I actually, you know, my, I, I'm my staff now I'm just extremely proud of and I'm watching them do, you know, more with half step than had ever been done. And, right. and not because they're more capable, but it just because they're present and, you know, and I'm present and, and it's just, it, it's, I don't know. It's, it's real fascinating to see kind of where, you know, the, the roller coaster of life or the roller coaster that half step has taken up right. to this point where, um, you know, it's, and, and for me, you know, I've, I've talked to people kind of candidly about this. Um, but for me, it's like something that I don't mind talking about because I want other people who might either be in a similar situation or mm. might be going through something to know that, Hey, there's other people out there that, <laughs> that have been well, through no, some pretty it's heavy a fucking shit. support group. Yeah. Man. <laughs> it really, like we, we bar ownership, yeah. People ask me, they're like, Hey, so bar ownership must be great. It must be like super like glamorous and everything. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, it's really intense. Do, do you like, so I think about this and, I'll frame it on me first. So I had a father who left, never met him, right? I figured the pressure got to him. You know, the, the woman he knocked up, like she's going to have a kid. And he's like, fuck, I can't deal with this stuff. When you walked away, or let's say you went, you, you never fully, it's not like you disconnected from this stuff, but you had to go down the path, have your journey to recollect and just fucking get some clarity, right? How do you think your staff was feeling when you, like they know you're going through some shit and they know you have to go to the ends of walk the ends of the earth like Kane from Kung Fu and fucking deal with that stuff. Like, do you think it was hard for them? I don't know. I think it was hard for some and without going into too many gory details and, you know, I'll, I'll change the names to protect the. Just call one of them Gary. My favorite. name. <laughs> <laughs> so Gary, so Gary uh, would get a little bit out of shape because I wasn't there. And didn't didn't understand why you know I wasn't there. Yeah. While other people who I'm, I've you know I tried to communicate with with everybody as much as I could. What's what I'm internalizing? What's going on? Yeah. Just so that they're not like, oh my god, where's Bostic? I hope he's okay. And it's not like I was just gone, gone. Right. It's just that you know I wasn't. I you know I just that there were weeks or nights that I wasn't there just kind of like leading the ship, like sure, driving sure. the ship. You're, you're below deck being introspective. Yeah. Right. And so, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's even then, you know, it's, it's kind of tough because, you know, of the, I guess the leadership that I provide mm. and then that leadership is not there. And so some people it's, and then I come back and I'm like, Hey, what are you guys doing? This is not, this is not working how I wanted it to. Yeah. And so then I go, I'm like, Oh, well shit, I need to be here more often. And I'm fucking trying to deal with this whole set of circumstances. And so tough. Yeah. Da, 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 da. And so, so after a while, it just, 
it had to get to a point where, you know, I just had to come to grips with myself and not essentially not beat myself up anymore. Right. Essentially, you you're bound to already personally, right? Yeah. Because it's like, well, is it my fault that this divorce is happening? Mean, I've went through divorce as well. Is it is it because I'm inflexible? Is it because of the situations I've brought to the conversation? Is is it on me? Like, there's all these questions, right? And then yeah. eventually you gain some clarity. But that coupled with you thinking, well, like, am I letting my staff down? Like, what's their expectation? How the fuck can I be everybody to everybody? Yeah. You know, it's and that's tough. And that's, you know, and, and, and at the same time, and this is not a blame game at all, but um, my business partners, you know, one of my business partners, Sasha Petrosky, passed away late last year. Yeah. My other business partners are in Los Angeles, you know, and so there have been times when I just felt like I was out on an island. Like I was at the outpost and there was no sign of anything coming my way. Or, you know, it's like I lost my horse, so I couldn't send any info out. Right. And Solitary. just total. Right. I, and, and that's and that, you know, and that it, that got to me, you know, at a certain point combined with just all the stuff. And and so that being said, it, it got to a point to where it's like I, I was like, look, I've got to communicate myself as much as I want communication coming my way. Right. And that's how I, you know, continue to train my staff and. And, and want to be there for my staff is, is to be, you know, a, 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 the ultimate communicator. Right. Because, But how, how, are you, how are you supposed to do that? Yeah. Like when you can't even maybe make it work for yourself. You yeah. Know? Like, that, that, that's, I mean, that's, that's a lot. It's like a lot of, you know, of, of what Half Step was, was me just giving and giving and giving and giving. Yeah. And not seeing, I mean, I, I'm, not that I didn't see anything in return, but, you know, it was a lot that it took a lot out of me getting that thing open. Were you the, the martyr? I don't know if I was the martyr. My mom's a martyr. Yeah. <laughs> so I, don't so know I, I could the... learn it. I could learn it pretty well. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I mean, I, I guess I might have been a martyr. But, it, but at the same time, I was like, what am I like? What is my and that's and that's been, you know, the past since New Year's Eve. I get the a big turnaround for me was. Um, at San Antonio Cocktail Conference, when I sat on a panel um, talking about Sasha Petrosky, yeah, and you know that that moment had every opportunity to kind of go south and go and go dark, sure, um, but somber, and, somber, yeah. but instead, and to the great credit of um, you know Robert Simonson of the New York Times, who moderated the panel. Um, it was a great opportunity for myself and, you know, this amazing collection of people who had worked closely with Sasha as well to, um, celebrate his life and talk about the things that we take away from what he taught us. Right. And, and also some of the, you know, for us to kind of talk and kind of chuckle, about some of his quirks mm. and some of the things that that you know made us enjoy his company, um, as well as right? uh, yeah, as as well as uh, as well as some of the things that kind of you know irked you, yeah. I mean, like <laughs> yeah. Sasha, answer your emails. <laughs> but you know, th- that being said, 
it was a, I think the big takeaway for me was, oh my gosh, we have those who of us have, who have worked for him or even indirectly, you know, in, in, in this odd way and death, Sasha's even larger than ever. Sure. And this legacy that he's leaving behind, um, you know, whether he was alive or had sadly passed, this legacy is going, going to live for a very, very long time. It's a time. movement in a way. And so to, you know, I guess say it as romantically as possible to be now one of the shepherds of this, right. of this disciple, of this teachings. Yeah. Sure. A disciple yeah. of, 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 you know, of, you know, a drinker of the Kool-Aid that he made so well. Yeah. I, it's, I, I find it a responsibility now to, to not take that for granted. And, and that for me, having been a part of that and having had an overall very positive experience at San Antonio Cocktail Conference, mm. it was a, it was kind of a, a turning point for me when, and my mindset to say, you know what, it's time to, it's time to get back to work. Yeah. It's time to, it's time to stop, you know, not, it's not time to stop saying, oh, poor me. And, and I guess being a martyr or whatnot, sure. but, but taking it, taking it rough and say, you know what, now it's time to like, now it's time to drill back down and find what it is about this that got you involved in the first place. Absolutely. Finding and the roots. Man. Finding the roots. And, and, you know, I remember when I started working at the varnish, I remember in that training, I was like, man, every restaurant dive club, everything I had done up to this point in my career had led me to that. Yeah. To the point where I felt like I very much succeeded. And at that point I was like, wow, the varnish, this is pretty amazing stuff. I'm going to fully invest myself into this family. Yeah. And to this ideal. And because there was something in me that switched. I was like, if I work hard at this, this could lead to, I don't know what. Anything. Anything. Yeah. It was, it was a really good feeling. The thing is, you know, I, I wouldn't say regret it, but I definitely missed the opportunity to interact with Sasha, even though there are multiple times I had opportunity. Can you like share with me what, if you could say this was the dude in a couple sentences, what, what was he? Like, who was he? He was a, an extremely humble man with exquisite taste and was not necessarily great with people. Yeah. Like, was he antisocial, awkward? How would you? Slightly, slightly antisocial. Yeah. Which is kind of nuts because he decided to open up bars that were. <laughs> that require some strength in requ- the field. That of require, us. yeah. yeah. But he was, but at the same time, he wasn't, he didn't, he didn't avoid contact for people over the bar. But, yeah. but for him being a, you know, a bartender and watching him interact with people, there's a bar there. Yeah. And, you know, even I get very comfortable talking to people behind a bar. Sure. There's a natural barrier. A natural barrier. Yeah. That's, you know, that's part of, part of the bar. And, but he, to, for me, when I first got to know Sasha and, you know, I, I, I don't, I wasn't intimidated by Sasha, but I knew what kind of influence he had at that point, even in right. 2009 when I first met him. Obviously, I had heard about him up to that point. And so the 
for me to get to know Sasha, I started talking to him about jazz music. Nice. Which I love and Absolutely. dearly. And I knew that he did too, but I didn't know at what level we could have a conversation about it. So I, I tried. Because um, I felt like a lot of people that wanted to talk to Sasha wanted to go right for the cocktail sure. acumen. But you but we were music guys. Yeah. That's how you really connect to someone's soul. And and so and so but you know the, and that's why I was like I don't think he was necessarily socially awkward. I just think he was not necessarily willing to talk about what people wanted to talk to him about. I see. If it got to a point where he it made him uncomfortable, he would just he'd break it off and politely excuse himself and, right. and say thank you. But you know, as we worked together at the varnish, and you know, he did the worked with Eric Alperin in the program there, and mm. both of who I've learned an immense amount of knowledge from, and consider my mentors in the cocktail realm, and as well as hospitality and and whatnot. Yeah. But as I got to know Sasha better, and we you know talked about jazz, you know, I never dressed like he did, but we could still talk about what what are some of the right ways to wear something and the wrong ways to wear something <laughs> yeah. that's you know like his dream was to have you know a full-on men's haberdashery amazing and, a yeah. co- and cocktail bar and a record all a record store like all in one like it yeah. was like he was the ultimate gentleman sure can you think of anybody that's like really influenced his sentiment or his the way he framed being a gentleman because that's like i think about that all the time well one i think I don't know if it was necessarily one person, and if it is, I can't remember right offhand. But, but I, you know, I'm reminded of the the milk and honey service manual, mm-hmm. at the beginning one, and it's like, you know, there's a very great paragraph that says, you know, we're not theme bars. We just believe that bars in the 20th century might look a lot like something from the jazz age. Yeah, that's not so bad. Hell no. And and so he just had this mindset of I'm not trying to recreate or wear a costume. I'm just trying to be something that makes me feel good. Right. And whether that's, you know, if 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 now you're somebody who really believes that the eighties were it and fully enveloped themselves and in, in everything eighties, you know, it's it, you know, I, I, I appreciated that because it took the gimmickiness away right. from because it's coming from an honest place. It's it's everything like everything that Sasha taught and the bars that he opened or were part of were extremely sincere, extremely humble bars. And that's something with Half Step now that I think that as the time has gone on and there's this like like Half Step has got soul. You can feel it when you mm-hmm. walk in. Mm-hmm. And now and maybe that's just me, but now it's like I see it through new eyes and I can see it. It's this excitement of newness i can see the pain of of resentment and now i can see this kind of phoenix rising from the ashes again and it's extremely genuine and that's all i could have ever hoped for and all i think sasha if he could see half step now would be extremely proud of to see that that genuine sincere delivery of what we do now that i i believe not just in half step again but myself again and that i i feel healthy and and my ex-wife and I are, you know, super close. And there was a, a moment of that where, you know, it was very important for me and for her that we get to a point where we can still remain very close. Why, why was that important to you? Because for us, so there, I mean, such a big part of our lives were being very close to each other. And we, yeah. we did a lot of really amazing things together. And, and I don't want, just because we're not together anymore, that 
that I have to think of all of that as a um as a waste of my life. Right. Somehow it's all discounted. Some sometimes I'll yeah. discount. No, I want I want to still be able to fire up pictures from our, you know, trip to Fiji and New Zealand and Tasmania and all that stuff and be like, wow, that was a great time. Yeah. And I still love her completely. It's just it's different now. And so we've gotten to a point where where we can still we can do that and we can send each other cat videos and we can play video games together. It's cool, right? It's it's cool, yeah. you know, it's 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 gonna be tested out when one of us starts dating some some right. somebody else I, and yeah, I man. see her with somebody else, that's gonna kill me, but so I, but I that's that's a part of it. But it it is a part of it. You're right. Did you guys have a particular incident or a conversation that said you, you realize like this is unfortunately I I can't do this anymore. I mean, it's for us it, it started off with let's separate and you know, without going into too much gory detail, it, it the the separation it never it never made its way back to getting back together and and that was a you know, a very sad moment and especially for somebody who I still care very much about. It's sure. The whole thing was, and by no means am I now looking back on it, am I blaming the bar for any of this? But no, no, of course not. Just a, a multitude of, of, of things that sent, you know, sent it into that direction. And Did you see that for yourself, like being being the guy? I mean, I don't know about your, your perspective on having a family and all that stuff, but did you see yourself being the guy? Like the, 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 is it, uh, the, the cleaver, you know, Hugh or whatever. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I, not really. I didn't have a very, you know, I, my father split when I was six months yeah. as well, and I never really knew him. And big father figure in my life was my grandfather. He was pretty much a hard ass growing up, but I look back on it now and I I thank him for that. Sure. I also thank him for teaching me how to break down an engine and put it back together. Fuck yeah, wish I had and, that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> so there's things you know. He was a civil engineer, and you know, was born on a farm, and, and yeah, was pretty much a badass. So. So I still had that in my life and but the the idea of you know of kids and all, all that kind of stuff it's you know obviously it's for me I, I don't there it, it still might be out there but yeah. not for now but not for now that like you said going back to half step that's now I've got a, a two-year-old now I have a two-year-old man it, it, that is you know it's it's kicking and screaming and it's teething and sure it's, you hate it at it, times yeah, you're up late at night you're losing sleep it's the yeah. same fucking parallel <laughs> You know, it really like, is. It totally is. It really is. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, it, it, ah, man, I've met a lot of guys that uh, we all and women. Well, actually, more more guys, but we stem from these fractured pasts, right? Like where we come out of nowhere. Because I feel like, in a sense, I feel like Superman. I don't have a lot of exceptional powers. Uh, I've got a lot of weaknesses. I can't be faster than a speeding bullet. But I came out of nowhere because I never will acknowledge that my father you know the father left like you're talking six months same thing right like i won't acknowledge it so as far as i'm concerned i was immaculately conceived <laughs> into the world and all i'm trying to do is succeed like you talk about half step that's your way that's that's your project that's the emblem of in a sense like you're rallying against how you were brought up you know i feel that same way and i mean i'm not trying to to tie you into this but no, i feel I, that's I, how I, it is man we got something to fucking you. prove you know what i mean we totally do that's that's a, a a big thing that i've that i've seen in my life and you know and like i i've haven't been perfect growing up i've if anything i was given a lot of room to make a lot of mistakes 
to ultimately learn from. Yeah. It's kind of a long form roundabout way of succeeding, but sure. you know, it, it, if, if you got to learn like the save from the school of hard knocks, then so be it. It's still learning. And now it's, I look forward to what the, not only the future of Hastep holds, but, but the, the level of, you know, they say your first is the hardest. Sure. And I certainly feel that to be true. I, you know, I've, I've started working on some other things now, but I, I, I'm not fully, you know, I, I, not at the level of what I was at a half step. Right. Right. That's, I think that's soon. I think that's down, you know, close, but you have to, I can see it, I but, can but <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's, I'm not, I'm not trying to rush into anything <laughs> yeah. kind of looking to some of the things that I would change about the way that I opened up half step. Yeah. Maybe some of the things of how, how much of a roller coaster it was. I wouldn't change anything. You know, I wouldn't change anything about how I was brought up. I feel like, you know, I'm sitting now speaking with you and this is the exact place that I need exactly. to be. Exactly. This is it precisely. And, and, and this in this moment in time and and I truly believe that. No so, regrets, right? None. 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 And 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 you know, if if I really look at all things, everything's pretty pretty darn good right now. You hear people you know, say a lot of times they're like, "Oh, hey, how's it going?" Oh, I'm so busy. I'm like, are, "Really? Are you? Are you really? Are you really that busy? No. Do you really know what busy is?" <laughs> they, Chris, I, they I, don't know what busy is because I can tell you what really, really busy is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some people yes. do mean it, but but you know, yeah. sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't need to always be like, "Oh, hey, I'm so busy." Like it sounds like you hate the fact that you're busy, right? You Which know, is great. It makes you grow. It if, grows mentally, physically, all of it. Yeah. And so now it's like, I truly feel I'm like, if I'm really busy, I'm like, yeah, things are happening. You know, it's, sh- this is, absolutely. It's like, this is, hey, this is, this is a good thing. Saying this, you're you know? busy is so uncouth <laughs> to me right now. Oh, I'm so busy. Like, fuck you. You're busy. Well, I, you run a business, have a day job and planning a marriage. Oh, okay. <laughs> fine. Fuck you, man. Like that. You. You know, people just say that shit. I know, and like, and I know that we've <laughs> we've been sitting here trying to do this for a while. And yeah, because we're actually busy. It's legitimately <laughs> been like, oh my god, this is crazy. Yeah, and uh, you know, whether it be travel or whatnot. But, sure. But at the same time, I feel like if if you know if if people or you know just myself, if I can embrace that sentiment of of appreciating being occupied. <laughs> At least your life's not fucking boring, right? And, uh, and and you know, and it, 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 but it really is. It's like I know that there's a lot of you know a lot of I see a lot of people in the industry that are kind of focusing back in on you know a balanced lifestyle and right. and taking care of themselves. And because I mean, bartending and 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 bar ownership, it it there's a lot of there's a lot of pitfalls out there that you can you know a lot of yeah. A lot of ways to kind of boogie yourself up and lifestyles it'll cripple you man and um and so you know i've i've seen my shares of the of the good and the bad and and i'm totally fine with that but but now it's you know at, at the end of the day you know we're in the business of pleasing other people so you know if if that's not something you can do then you kind of have might have to reevaluate yeah. you know why you're doing it Absolutely. This is perfect, right? We've been talking about half step, which is th- the first kid causes the stress. You still have your hair, thank God. <laughs> but it ca- I, th- it's, I thank it, my grandfather for that. But you're a Texas guy though. You you were raised in Texas? Oh yeah. Where'd you grow up? 
I grew up uh, Central Austin, pretty much. Really? And then um, uh, went to uh, well, back in the day. We got we used to get bussed from Central Austin to the East Side. So I went to Oak Springs Elementary. Where's that? Uh, East Airport. Holy shit! Really? That's back in Austin. Back in the day, they used to bus kids from all over the place to just equalize the, the attendance or whatever. Yeah, yeah, attendance and population. And I wasn't living in a particularly nice neighborhood at the time. Right. They, they, sure as hell wasn't East Airport though. It was East Airport. <laughs> but that being said, like I like even now I look back and then and I'm like I'm so glad that I had that experience. Yeah. To to get you know included into different cultures to the point Absolutely. where as a kid you don't you don't judge yet you don't judge you don't have the lens you don't have if, the if anything capacity. you just learn to get along and that's yeah. a good thing you're taller than me what's up man what's up? <laughs> yeah. yeah you got brown skin hey what's up my freshman year at, at leander high school i was in marching band didn't wasn't really into the whole marching band scene it's different man it's, it's not it was, soulful it's not the same thing it's too structured it's, it was extremely structured yeah. and, uh, and there was John philip Sousa, that's the shittiest stuff yeah and then i mean it's great when you hear people that have gone through the regimented training play it at its highest level right that's good but then and i no know that they had to, to go through what i was going through to get there yeah but i was like man this this train's not for me this train's not headed to where i want to go i went off this train and so i took some private lessons but at that point getting into high school that's when i i my creative outlet then turned to theater yeah and for me it was you know that was something that i could do in school that gave me that kind of creative outlet kind of like jazz right like, oh yeah and something that all the I, breadth of emotions and stuff i, I yeah. did i did a lot of uh i did a lot of you know group improv and a lot of short improv okay no and uh this is still leander this is still leander high school yeah that's we, we went to these uil competitions oh for, yeah oh yeah for you know, yeah, I, I did. Be. I did prose. I did. I read poetry. We did. did you just we did. We did, do, we did uh, dramatic interp. We did dramatic interp. We yes, did, we did improv, duet, like this whole these whole things. Like we just went and did like you know. I probably did seven or eight of these. Big what meets. well, like what's inspiring you then? Like, did you watch a lot of movies? Do you have particular actors you liked? Were you reading plays? I mean, watched a lot of movies, read a lot of plays. Just wanted to. I just wanted to be on stage. Yeah. You know, I really wanted to take on this other character and kind of dive into it. Yeah. And I also, Greece. Yeah. Well, I also, and I, my, my junior year, we took our UIL one act play to state and, and performed. Yeah. We were in a play called all out. We took our play to state. It was a pretty amazing experience performing in front of 7,000 people in a packed bass concert hall. You, you were at bass. Yeah. And, Holy shit! And this, I mean, this was a this was a big this was a big deal, big moment in my life. And I was yeah. like, wow, this is pretty cool. I'm, I'm kind of into this. And I wasn't necessarily I would get nervous, but I wasn't necessarily like I drew energy from a crowd from from sure. people, yeah. Uh, and being on stage, I could I never I never shied away from it. It felt natural. And then you know stuck with it through my my senior year, and and um. You know, we had another successful, didn't make it to state, but had another successful one-act play. Mm-hmm. Went to St. Edward's University on uh, on a pretty nice... Sweet, sweet gig? Pretty nice theater scholarship. Yeah. What year did you hit the St. Ed's? Uh, started in 94. Okay. And lasted from 94 to... I was there for 94, essentially the 94, 95 year. Okay. Are you are you 40 yet? I'm May 15th. I'll be 40. I knew it was coming up. <laughs> Wait, so the St. Ed's thing was good? You had a good time with it? St. Ed was good. 
by going to college and having moved out of you know my situation in high school and you know having gone through a lot of this stuff once i got to college i just pretty much went crazy um it's like a vacuum before that and it's yeah kinda... it was just yeah not... do you have any brothers or sisters i have uh, i have a half sister she, you grew up with her yeah she's time. 10 years younger than i am. oh cool okay i kind of went i don't want to say crazy but i went super rebellious off the reservation yeah i was like holy shit i've I'm living on my own. I'm at college. I'm going to go crazy. And I essentially flunked out. Catholic girls, too. After St. Edward's. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Uh, After Catholic school girls and uh, actors. Um, Oh, jeez. Yeah. But it got to a point where after a full year of being in the theater department, and we did everything from Pygmalion to the last play that I was there was Hair. Hair. Did you strip down? We stripped down, but we were behind essentially cardboard boxes oh, okay. Okay. with body human body parts painted onto the box. I see. Okay, with like suspenders on the box. Did you have? Were you in charge of painting your own wiener? No, they were. It was all. It was all done by the the, the stagehands by stage stage crew. I would have just. It was just all meant to be uniform. It was all meant to be uniform. Oh, okay, it kind got of, it, got they were it. kind of caricatures, but at the same time. Uh, what I had started to notice was that I didn't like actors, nor did I want to be an actor. I didn't what, want. What, I didn't. Lot. I didn't see this as. I didn't see this as a career. Okay, it was something that I felt like I was pretty darn good at, but something that I that I didn't want to continue as a pursuit. Was it something that that brought me joy? If anything, really? it was. It was such a. I I was just too young to realize what I was too young to see any kind of benefit or see any see through to the the core of its relevance i didn't have that yet i see so would you say that and like kind of overall that you felt very different from the fellow actors like you're like these guys man they're on yeah you're you're your own thing this this forced the triumph and then you've got all these other actors maybe they're stuffy or whatever that and i was just i was just kind of a rebel yeah i didn't want to i didn't want to belong i didn't want to be a part of this thing anymore and you know that so what'd was, you do so i i dropped out or flunked out i kind of just fucked off for for about a year and then <clears throat> i met um a buddy of mine so it had gotten to a point where I, I i left i got actually i got before i dropped out i got kicked out of the dorms for having admitted to smoking marijuana oh that got you kicked out it, got well, me, it, kicked is a Catholic out, it got me kicked out of the dorms but it didn't get me kicked out of school sure and then I stayed on, but never went to class. And then I got expelled for or I flunked, academic I, I, probation. Yeah, right, I right. flunked out for academics, yeah. which kind of sucks because I had this great scholarship, and I just kind of piddled it away. Just kind of piddled it away. <laughs> and so, but that's you know, amazing to be able to walk away from me like fuck you, scholarship. Oh man, I was pissed because I got kicked out. My roommate at the time at the Premont dorm, he got kicked out because essentially the gram of shake and the pipe were in his drawer on his Are desk you kidding me yeah we had we had driven around st ed's campus around kind of those dark neighborhoods yeah yeah, yeah. um i had a 1980 mercury zephyr with a tie-dyed headliner <laughs> and we were kind of rolling around the streets just smoking dubs yeah and like dubs right? yeah smoking, <laughs> smoking dubs and uh <laughs> show, it shows my 40 years of age and so we're just you know smoking dubs and uh <laughs> and our thing was it was like we wanted to smog the car out as much as we could 
and then stop and then open the doors and watch it go. Right, right. And so we did that a couple of times and we're just having, you know, the time of our life. And we go back to the dorms and we're all hanging out in my dorm room. And my dorm room just happened to be cracked a little bit. We stunk so bad that the RA thought that we had been smoking in my room. Oh, shit. (laughs) And (laughs) RA comes in and was like, all right, I need you boys to stay right here. And then she called public safety. Public safety comes over. So a couple of my friends lived across campus in another dorm. And they were like, all right, you two, get out of here. And so... You know, after kind of grilling us and doing a visual search, public safety or my roommate kind of fessed up and said, hey, I got a little bit. And I, th- I think he thought that by admitting nothing was going to happen to him and he got he got expelled from school. Oh, fuck, man. Really? Then I got kicked out of the dorms. Yeah. So that was my first my first brush with the sobering moment with the with like, oh, my gosh, what's what's going on with the world? <laughs> Like you're kicking me out for for this for shit? this I can grow it in my backyard, fucker. Yeah, yeah. And so that just led to a whole cornucopia of of bad decisions in my life over the next uh, I don't know handful of years or so. Yeah, a lot of good times, but that was was definitely the beginning of some pretty harrowing moments in my life. Nothing too bad. Nothing too... Harrowing? Really? Yeah, nothing too nitty-gritty. You didn't fall off of an overpass, did you? No. I did I did total a car once. Did you flip it? I ran it right into a cliff. Holy shit. Yeah, airbag deployed. That was a point in my life where all things had kind of been like, I think I need to reevaluate what's going on. How old were you with this? I was like 2002. Oh, shit. So it's a little bit later. A little bit later. Yeah. So you're... So, but you're like... You get tossed from Saint Ed. You're Saint Ed. You're saying I don't acting. These fucking actors really bother me. And so, how long did you stick around in Austin before you took off? After I uh, was in Austin until well before. I mean, before I stayed in Austin, went to ended up going to Saint Ed or uh, uh, Austin Community College uh-huh. for a couple semesters and got some you know got some hours in there and then. Started, I got back together with my high school sweetheart Uh-oh. who had gone to Southwestern <laughs> in Georgetown. And then I ended up chasing her to New York City. Uh, well, she, why'd she head up? She went New up York there City? for acting. For acting, yeah. Because uh, we had dated in high school through all of through that Through drama stuff. program? The drama program. Is that the girl you uh, Might have been. Chased? Might have been. Yep, Could have been. Yep. Fair, fair enough, yeah. Yep, Might have been. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and so I chased old girl again up to up to New York City, and that lasted about three months. And I stayed for about four and a half years. Really, in New York City, yeah. But that's New York City is where, and this was in '97. I moved up there, but New York City is where before that I had been working at like Tex-Mex restaurants. Yeah, my first job in high school was at La Fiesta, and the I don't even know where that is, and now. the and the parking lot of. Old 183 and Buttercup Creek Parkway. Buttercup Creek? Where's that? That's Cedar Park, kind of almost to Leander. Oh, no shit. So bad that way. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I started washing dishes at a strip mall Tex-Mex joint. I thought I was hot shit when I got promoted to busboy and started, make, <laughs> started making cash. And I'm like, you know, it's a little pissant sophomore in high school. But then I had worked 
so this is right before I moved to New York. I, I worked at another Tex-Mex place uh, called Antonio's. It was on Jollyville Road. Interesting. And so, okay. and then okay. that's, and then I had also worked at a Lone Star Cafe, and that's where I actually had my first bartending gig. Really? Uh, so you, you came up through the ranks through Tex-Mex. Through Tex-Mex. So no Tex-Mex wonder you love Mezcal. Tex, Tex-Mex <laughs> and fast casual restaurants. Fast casual <laughs> Chili's. Yes, I worked, worked at, at Chili's. I worked at a. I worked at a. I worked at a TGI Fridays. Uh-huh. I worked at a Lone Star Cafe. I worked at a Chili's. Fuck yes! What's Chili's? Uh, Wasn't the, the one in Lamar? Was it Round Rock? Okay, okay. All right, all right, all right. That's okay. That's all right. Uh, the El Presidente still is one of the finest drinks. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Is that a Chambord Margarita? Yeah, Some, so. something like that. That huge, massive one. Yeah, with the shaker. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just I had had odd jobs all over the place, and then I uh, in like '97 I moved to New York City, yeah. and like all of these little odd jobs and whatnot led to me getting hired at a place called Mareggi. Mm-hmm. This was this is back when you could find a job in the back of the Village Voice yeah. for any restaurants or whatnot. Craigslist wasn't a thing then, and so I answered a, a a job listing that all it pretty much read was, "Are you willing to learn?" a ton of information not bad nice nice restaurant lots to learn come see us yeah. address it ended up being this place Mareggi, which yeah. you know when i got to new york i pounded the pavement i lived in an arts housing building called the uh the glca house mm-hmm. 28th street and 8th avenue had a tiny little room shared a hallway bathroom sold everything sold my car before i went up there and it's like i'm doing this I'm gonna go chase old girl and so just pounded the pavement, dropped off, I don't know, it must have been 20 resumes just everywhere. Right, right. And I got a call back from this place, Mareggi. It was a Pan-Asian fusion restaurant. Pan-Asian fusion, okay. It took me about a decade after that to find out, actually even longer than that, to find out that the beverage program was put in by Steve Olson. Holy shit, really? Steve Olson and Wendy Louie. And we were together with Sam Governale, who was a, a Houston, a Houstonian uh-huh. that was the one that hired me. And he hired me because I was a Texan. No shit. Hired me because I was a Texan. At a Pan-Asian restaurant. At a Pan-Asian York. fusion restaurant <laughs> on 5th Avenue and 12th Street. Amazing location, yeah. And so I start at this place, and sure enough, I get a, a manual of information and this has got a glossary of terms like shiso and dashi and kombu and oh, man. all of these things that now we know because yeah. we eat out and we kind of take for granted. But I was 22. What does this mean? What is, yeah. What shiso? is shiso? Shiso what? Hot? Yeah. yeah. Shiso heavy? What the fuck? And, uh, but it was, it, it was, it was, that was kind of a dawning when I was like, oh, this is, this might be, I like doing this. Yeah. Looking back on it now to, to think that, Wow. I can't believe that I got that opportunity then without even knowing anything. Yeah. And this was, you know, a 98 at that point, late 97 that the cocktail thing hadn't started yet. Yeah. Not yet. But you know, this was, but there was a sakitini on the menu, Mm -hmm. but I started waiting tables here. And then occasionally I got behind the bar because it, it wasn't really a whole lot of bartending as much as it was pouring sake and wine. Mm Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it was it, the, that listing was correct. It was an immense amount of of knowledge, of stuff to to learn. It felt like I was studying for some kind of final exam, right? Like an LSAT or some shit. But at the same time, it was exciting. 
I was young. I was in New York City. I was with my girlfriend. Like for three months. Yeah, for three months. <laughs> not to rub it in. I promise. I'm not no, sure. no, it's cool. It's that's a hard. I mean, talk about when you're young. That's a hard. That's that, way worse than. That is a very difficult city to, because it's like you really you thought that you knew something in your small little town, and you get to New York City and you quickly realize you don't shit. Yeah. And I very quickly realized that I was just I was nothing. And uh, it's good though. It was no, it was great. Restart, that's, right? Well, that's you know that's why I I have a lot of respect for people who get up and pick up and move and travel and yeah and you know look to other things besides what they're familiar with. Sure. You know, getting outside your comfort zone. So how long were you at this Pan American Fusion spot? So it was open about by the when I started working there, it, it was open about six months after I started, uh-huh. and then it shut down. Oh shit. I know it's like all this all this knowledge for nothing, but it stuck with me. And then I started, and then I got a job at the Blue Water Grill, mm-hmm. uh, which is there on Union Square. And that was a really incredible, eye opening experience. Just based on, I'd never seen that kind of volume in a place that served food and beverage in my life. Right, right. I mean, this place is in the old Bank of the Metropolis, and they're doing seven to nine hundred covers a day, Jesus, any day of the week yeah. on three levels. I'm like. And the, and it's considered fine dining, and uh, and so you know I I continued to learn, continued to really improve my wine knowledge, and that was where I really got kind of a love for tasting spirits, mm. kind of got a love for you know putting my nose in, evaluating, enjoying it or not enjoying it, but right. critically thinking about what it is that I'm consuming, and then you know after a while. I lived in Astoria, Queens at that point. I was taking the train home, uh, a packed in train, and I caught an elbow in the face. And an eye or the nose? Yeah, just like right, kind of like right around like the lower orbital. And I just remember it hurt and it gave me a black eye. And I just thought at that point, I was like, okay, I'd been here for a while now. And I'm like, what? What am I doing? Yeah. You know, I had got some good knowledge. But yeah, like, where's played, it going? you know, I'd, I'd messed around with the band or two. You know, I played harmonica and sang, and yeah. you know, and and uh, did you do any acting when you were out there? No, no, just thought, give it up. I thought about it, but at the same time, I was like, no, it's just too much work for so much rejection. Yeah, and oh it's, man, and it's, it's like actively work towards your rejection. Oh yeah, it's, it's like you gotta. It's it's something that it takes it takes a special. It takes a special makeup to be able to do that. I I I can't. I need I need the almost the instant gratification that you get from hosting a bitchin' party at right. the place that you work or instead of eating bartending. Shit for yeah, a instead week. of just like crashing and burning nonstop. So you catch an elbow in the face. <laughs> it's quite a symbolic yeah. coldness of, of New York. And so you're like, you're gonna go back to the warmth of Texas. I, so I took uh, I took personal inventory and, and asked myself what it was that I was doing there and is yeah. this is this worth the the struggle did I reach a point where I don't necessarily feel like I'm running away with my tail tucked between my legs right. well cuz you're st- you're not you're you're still employed right still employed yeah you got a good gig got a you know got a good gig you know I've got good friends back in Austin and so yeah. you know I was was kind of talking and it was like you know, a buddy of mine had said, "Hey, I got a house, I got a room. You know, I can totally come back." And and so I, I think there was an ease of transition to move back, right? And to kind of get back involved with what was happening back 
here and what year are we talking now 2000 so now this is 2001 oh shit before the this is like several months before 9-11 happens and so yeah so for me i was like okay it's time it's time to go home yeah and pretty much you know at at that point i had been living in a rent-controlled apartment in astoria queens Mm. we had a two-bedroom we were paying 800 bucks a month and we had and we had a third roommate there splitting the rent with us who kind of lived in the living room and this this is a buddy of mine who I'd gone to high school with. So all three of us had gone to Leander High School and were in the theater department living Ama- in New York City. Amazing, yeah. <laughs> two of them two of them working at being actors. One me, of them is Brian Cranston. Yeah. <laughs> me, me just being pretty much a a professional bartender server at that yeah, point. Yeah. I definitely saw some of the the underbelly and the party side of New York City yeah. while while being there, which was great and exciting and you know lots of lots of live music lots of clubs but so at that point i was like okay it's time to go home and get back involved with whatever it was that i was doing but at the same time in my mind i was like man i've got this really incredible new york city experience now yeah i can pretty much get any job i want yeah you've got a great resume yeah at that point back in austin and so i come back instead i started working at a place called brio vista where was that? Which is where Eddie V's and the Arboretum is now. No shit. Okay. And uh, was it even the Arboretum then? Uh, it was the Arboretum back then. Yeah. And but this was when I started working with Stuart Scruggs and Mark Paul from Wink. Wink. Oh shit! They're Wink guys. How, okay. how could I? How could I forget about Wink? I started working at, at Brio Vista, Stuart Scruggs and Mark Paul, which they went on to go uh, start Wink. Yeah. And for me, this was a great place because it was a great restaurant. Stuart was this kind of wild man who made pretty wild food. And but at the, at the same time, I'm I'm waiting tables and learning even more about wine and right, utilizing right. what I had learned up to that. Was point. it a Mexican stuff or was it? Italian this is a uh, Brio Vistos, yeah, Italian, okay, kind of like okay. this regional Italian, but kind of elevated, yeah. um, thing. You know, French technique, that kind of stuff. Right, right. And then from there, Brio Vista closed down. And then I went to work for a summer out at the Oasis. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Are you wearing short shorts, Chris? Oh, man, no shame in my game. I was never, ever in as good a shape as I was that summer. No shit. Because you're just running with like plates and yeah. trays and bus tubs up and downstairs in the heat of summer the whole time. Oh, man. And I mean, it was it was pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, but it was also a lot of fun and the and I don't I guess I took it because I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna go do something crazy. But it also it's like we made tons of money, we partied super hard. Do you, you, do you think that people know that you worked at the Oasis? I, I mean I'll I'll mention it in conversation. No, I know, every but like, thinking about you in short shorts, <laughs> I'm just painting this out. Short shorts hustling your ass off in a summer Maybe more in a midriff. I mean, that's like that's what comes. Oh to yeah, me. just like you know, like khaki shorts, a blue shirt, and a cap, and a you know, short apron. Oh man, busting your ass! Some white tinnies and some tube socks. That was uh oh man, some seersucker. Oh, just, seriously, we're busting ass. And yeah. this was before the whole storm hit and burned it up. And oh yeah, and they kind of retooled it and rechanged it and right. whatnot. But uh, so what takes you like so? Austin, it's nice to be back. You're hanging out with fellow people that, that maybe you went to school with, at Leander and stuff. What caused you to want to leave again? Get the fuck out of here. Well, I kind of took a few years there and stopped working at all. And then I really got involved with traveling around. I'd been seeing a lot of fish concerts, been going to a lot of festivals. Okay. Especially when I was living in New York, you go see fish all over the place. Yeah. 
So are you a fish guy? Big fish guy, yeah. Yeah, okay. And okay. still still am. Yeah. And I've got, you know, I've got a big crew of, of people that, you know, we we get together and we scheme or we'll send texts and we're like, all right, <laughs> you know, this year it's like, okay, we have all got tickets to go see fish at Wrigley Field this Ooh, summer. Ooh, yeah. You know, some of us are going to the Gorge up in Washington, in oh, George, man. the Gorge in George, Washington. What what are fish fans called? Uh, people call them fish heads. Fish heads? Yeah, fish heads. Fish head soup's pretty good. Yeah, it's totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dead heads, fish heads. Yeah, good. just, you know, fish fans. Fish fans? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Fans. I would I would have never taken you for a fish uh, fish food fan. Yeah. Fan it's uh well for me it's it's still preconceived notions of what fish is and sure. what their music is. Right. It's they've got such an amazing like wide catalog that you get out of it kind of the the time you put into it. I see. Okay. So the more the more you learn about, you know, this lore that they've spun and the the sheer volume of really amazing songs that they've either written or covered to the point that they've made them their own. Right, right. The storytelling and the just this just intense web of conceptual continuity that they that they spin. Yeah. There's a lot to sink your teeth into. So for some people are like, Jesus, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to dig into it. Yeah. yeah. Some people are extremely intimidated by it's like Zappa. It's, it's which Zappa is a huge influence on on fish. Yeah, it's so overwhelming. And so for me, it's. It's as much about the live music experience and this community that has been growing around the band yeah. that truly feel like it's about the music. And there's some people, and there's definitely riffraff no matter what scene you get involved in. Right, right. But, you know, when you go to, you know, I was just in New York City for, for New Year's Eve and you, you see, you know, 20,000 people at Madison Square Garden just losing their mind over one band. Wow. You know the the most world you know famous arena in the world that they sold out three nights yeah and you know in seconds it's incredible it says something right oh yeah it's totally, a testament it, yeah, to something but um and so so yeah I spent a lot of time just traveling and doing a lot of you know festivals and right right just kind of going out there and just kind of I kind of checked out or kind of like left the grid for a while. Uh, was it a spirit journey, as they say? I don't know. Just it was kind a spirit of... journey, but I was just out there doing it. I was just, yeah. I was just like, you know what? I'm. I just had been busting my ass, right? You know, you know, working so much. That I was like, hey, we're, let's just go out and figure out ways to make money on the road. And yeah, yeah. Essentially, it was just like a big extended road trip. Amazing. So that was a big learning experience for me. But you know, at a certain point, you got to kind of come back to reality and yeah. and do your stuff. And that's when. Um, I think this was around 2002 or three. I opened up the Roy's restaurant downtown. Roy's, really? Roy's, yeah. <clears throat> and you know, it was a big corporate restaurant, uh, but it was fine dining to the point where a the money was good. B sure. there was learn there was still stuff to learn. Wine, well, appealing to was your good. your erudite nature. Yeah, and so that's you know that's where I met Nate Wales, who is been kind of the director of ops for the violet uh the violet crown mm-hmm. group who's now the waterloo group mm. like they have like indessa sway and all this stuff so so oh, there was shit. a few few people at this point at roy's yeah. that we you know started there as and it just, turned into like this it just, big it just kind of turned into people doing their own thing and having fun and so i worked there serving or bartending serving and bartending uh worked there and then from there I ended up at Fonda San Miguel. Full circle, man. Full circle. Jesus. That's when I really, like, really started to, because 
up to that point, I I mean, I, I, I didn't care what I did as long as I was in the restaurant and had a job. Right, right. And, you know, I, I loved bartending, but I'd also wait tables because sometimes, frankly, in restaurants, the money would be better. Yeah. And so, but when I started at Fonda San Miguel, I just wanted to be behind the bar. And I wanted to, you know, use my knowledge of tequilas and, you know, having worked in Mexican restaurants. Miguel Rivago, the founding chef with yeah. Tom Gilliland, was back at that point. No kidding. So you work together in two spots now. Two different spots. And then, uh, and so I kind of played that card to get the job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, hey, Miguel, remember me? And so. <laughs> uh, you remember my khaki shorts, Miguel? Yeah. <laughs> I started working at Fonda San Miguel and just had a few shifts, you know, a week. And then over time, just, just by being there, I mm-hmm. kind of moved into this head bartender role. And I guess I started working there about, no, I guess I started working there about 2003. Mm-hmm. But I started working my way into this kind of leadership role or whatnot. The owner, Tom Gilliland, and I were talking, and he would always do a lot of research and was always like, what's going on in the world? Yeah. And start, we started talking about cocktails and about doing something with the bar program at Fonda San Miguel. So I did my homework and was like, starting to google and do research i'm like okay what's going on out in the world of cocktails there yeah was it was it a thing yet it wasn't kind of well, bubbling it, up is, I guess. so i guess in 2009 or 1999 when milk and honey started these things hadn't come to markets like austin yet no not to central the the midwest yet yeah chicago in. you know these things in chicago hell la hadn't even seen it yet la was still shaking dirty vodka martinis mm-hmm. and, um and whatnot and so so this this thing, you know, so I read Gary Regan's Joy of Mixology. That was the first cocktail book that I mm-hmm. read. And, you know, my big thing from that book was like, oh, okay, so you stir stuff that doesn't have any juice and you shake stuff that has juice. That was pretty much what I learned from the book. I mean, amongst many other things, but mm-hmm. that was a mm-hmm. big takeaway. And, and then we had a, a guest that wanted to drink Negronis. What the hell is this thing? You my call? dad's least favorite drink, as I call it. Oh my god! What the hell is this thing you call a Negroni? And then I learned how to make a Negroni on ice with you know the with the orange, like an orange segment, not the orange peel. Yeah. And one one one, you know, or mm-hmm. equal parts. Mm-hmm. And so it was like it was these things that I just started to kind of like pick up, and then I essentially got a budget where. Tom Gilliland would allow me to spend so much per week at Central Market. And I would go to Central Market and I'd buy all this produce. And I'd mess around with sugars and piloncillo and, you know, mess around with the kitchen and, you know, make the Bloody Marys and make a special, you know, like Mexican Bloody Mary yeah. for brunches. And, and so I was given freedom to kind of just go for it and play around in addition to making the thousands of margaritas we made per week right and uh and so that was my real kind of entry which is activation yeah like around 2005 or so where i started really saying okay this is what i want to do you know i'd kind of gotten that from new york it was like the the hospitality industry had, had become less of a means to an end and more of something that i started seeing myself as being good at something that I could utilize my skill set 
something that being behind a bar gave me that outlet of wanting to be of wanting to perform right of wanting to perfect role yeah wanting to to host a party and wanting to build regular clientele and it just everything just seemed to work for my personality at that point well you're performing you're getting to be creative we also get improvisational and especially as a yeah and as a as as a bartender you're making things that you can receive instant gratification from so there's sure so there's this so there's this kind of um you know for a lot of bartenders this this lack of patience that sometimes creeps in yeah but when you're able to serve them a drink and they're either yeah or they're like yeah (laughs) you're either you know right away yeah um, or you can, you know, the ultimate feedback loop right there. It's right Perfect, there. Yeah. And so, so the, you know, a lot of that said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm into this. I want to do this. And, you know, there was something about this entry into this cocktail realm that took my background now in fine dining and my love for food. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was a line on, on my resume for the longest time, a bullet point at the bottom that said, um, Sincere, de- sincere dedication to furthering my own enjoyment of fine food and beverage. Interesting. Okay. Because for me, it was like if I'm if I'm dedicating you know myself to enjoying these things, right? Or de- you know dedicating my enjoyment uh, for 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 certain things, then I'll tell anybody who'll listen yeah. about oh, what yeah. I'm discovering. Um, and so, so there was you know a good. Uh, a good opportunity there for me at Fonda San Miguel to, to not only um, read and start to peel back the layers of what's going on here, mm-hmm. but also kind of self-teach myself um, things that I hadn't been taught. It, it really was a, an eye-opening experience because as I started to make some of these drinks and and I, you know there there's for me like looking back on it now like i was making blood orange mojitos mm-hmm. and calling them morojitos <laughs> and that ended up being one of like the best-selling drinks that fonda san miguel had ever seen yeah it was just a blood orange mojito with like demerara sugar yeah and mint. simple but good but man it was it good and so, but then there were other things that weren't so good that I look back on now and I'm like, it's like, man, like I would kill myself if I was my bar manager now because right. half the stuff was muddled. <laughs> yeah. That was back when muddling meant better. Right. You know, I was like, hey, we're extracting flavors by muddling them out of by the- beating the by, shit by, by beating the shit yeah. out of them. And so there was, yeah, there was like a brutish, no zero finesse involved in the, that time right right. but man could i make an amazing margarita and free pour it and like nail the pour every single time but but at the same time there was just this 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 level where you know and i say this a lot because you see it happen to a lot of people where you know certain bartenders young bartenders crack a book Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden a little knowledge becomes very dangerous sure Oh yeah, and they, you know, it's like they they learn a couple things, and now they're experts. Sure, and it's unfortunate because that means that you know that because they've learned something and they feel like they have a this tool now that they can show off, it becomes more about them wanting to show it to you as opposed to them tending to your needs as as a guest. 
the one of the the biggest chapters, as far as I knew it, is you heading out to LA, which had nothing to do with acting, right? Nothing to do with acting. So I, what? Why'd you head out there? I I chased another girl out there. Well, at least it's easy pattern. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. It's easy. Well, you I, know how many of these stories, Chris, are are predicated on guys chasing girls. Oh, it's. I mean, it's, almost ninety percent. Yeah, ninety fucking percent. Women make us do crazy things. They do, and then they're great or yeah. they're terrible. Either way, it's one or the other. Um, and so, uh, so. Where'd you I, meet this? Where, where, which so girl Kristen was this? and I met in Austin. Oh, so this was Kristen that you went. I'll yeah. You. Oh. So where'd you guys meet in Austin? So we met in Austin at Fauna San Miguel. Okay. Was she uh, a client or a coworker? She was a mute. She was actually living in New York City. Okay. And she was introduced to me by a mutual best, our mutual best friend. Interesting. Okay. And at the time, she had a boyfriend in New York City, and yeah. But she was living here. She was living in living up in New York City. Oh, okay. she was back down to visit. I used to throw some pretty wild Fourth of July parties at a house I okay. had down south, and so she came into Fonda Semigol, and I was bartending, and and uh, and so yeah, we just we hit it off. But then sure. two years later, she's still living in New York City, still dating. You know, were you guys keeping in touch? Same guy, hey, kind of ish, right? Run into her every now and again, and then um, and then. <laughs> Then what happened is that she broke up with her boyfriend in, in New York mm. and then had become an online ordained minister to marry our mutual best friend and was coming back through Austin on her way out to Los Angeles. Uh-huh. And then we ended up hanging out. Um, for at the, the wedding? At the wedding. Yeah. And we're like, we're like, wow, hey, I'd had a crush on you for a while. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, long story short, we... Um, we start hanging out and then, you know, she stayed in Texas for a short little bit and then moved out to LA. And then we actually did a long distance relationship for about eight months before I moved out to Los Angeles. No kidding. What, what industry took her out to LA? Acting. Acting. She's an actress. Okay. So yeah, another, another actress. Uh, what's it? What's it? <laughs> Birds of a feather flock together. Yeah. Is that what it is? <laughs> Here I am saying, I don't like actors and I married one. <laughs> <coughs> and so, that's got to be like one of those things where it's like uh, the opposite of what you feel. Like I hate myself as an actor. I'll marry one. <laughs> and so, um, you know, and like it was, that was a, a pretty wild ride. But, you know, and I, I also, you know, I, I, I thank her for kind of opening my eyes to change mm. and also opening my eyes to, um, you know, getting outside of my comfort zone again yeah and and also you know i i I can't imagine had i i can't imagine my life now had i not gone out to la and you know and and as as much as it's unfortunate and um and it's you know sad that you know ultimately we kind of moved back and and got divorced right i still love her completely but it doesn't as we said it doesn't discount those experiences no not at all and and the crazy thing is is that you know, I got, it just happened to be that I got out to LA on at the ground floor of what the whole LA scene. Yeah. And I got out there and I just, man, I busted my butt and worked my ass off. Was it always at the varnish? And no, I started off at the Beverly Hills Hotel. No shit. And you ever I, run into Jeff Bridges? <laughs> I, I saw I saw him down there. We what saw the, I, that was a fucking random. Sl- I just I was no, we randomly like, like I saw. I mean, you you name it. They came to the Beverly Hills. Hotel. Really? Uh, you know, 
I got to see why George Hamilton is a crazy color of orange. That, what, why is it? Um, All the carrot juice. He would, yeah, he would drink um, whiskey shots with his uh-huh. Arnold Palmers. Oh, Jesus. Uh, and eat Crab Louis sandwiches, or uh, Crab Louis salads. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then he'd go lay out by the pool with one of those the, the reflector, reflector things. Yeah. Pretty much daily during the Jesus. summer. Jesus, and he's still alive. Still alive. He doesn't look like a raisin, or maybe he does look like a raisin. He's kind of, yeah, it's kind of weird. He's raisiny. But, um, but yeah, I mean, all, all kinds of wild stuff that I saw, you know, working by the pool at, you know, this luxury hotel in Beverly Man. Hills. Wasn't starstruck, but I did get to see some cool stuff. I, I remember seeing Steve Martin, Tina Fey, and uh, Lauren Michaels uh-huh. sitting at a table very close, but just out of earshot. Yeah. And... Man, did I ever want to be just a bug on the table within listening the earshot. Just within the <laughs> earshot, just to hear what was going on at that table. Oh, it's amazing. And I'm sure it ended up being some terrible movie. But Well, that's how uh, uh Jimmy <laughs> Jimmy Fallon's career. Yeah. They were like, What should we do? Let's make him a talk show host. Yeah. They decided it at that table, I'm sure. Oh yeah. This had is, to have been. This is wild. And so so when what's that transition like to the to the varnish then? So the I so I fractured my collarbone snowboarding in snowboarding and in, in Southern uh, California oh, at uh, at Snow Summit. Fractured my collarbone, destroyed it, um, complete fracture. The bone almost came through the skin. Oh my gosh! And um, I mean, it was bad. It, it was so bad that it it took me out for. I was out for about six months. And, just recuperating. Uh, just recuperating because wow. it took them. It took them about a month just to decide that I needed to have it surgically repaired. Wow. Needless to say, I can't shake cocktails or do anything at this point. No kidding. And, uh, and so, um, at that point I was still like really getting involved, really staying focused and like getting into the industry and the scene. Um, trying to participate and, and get involved as much as I could. And so I, I, did my research, did my homework. I was always, I've always been kind of computer savvy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I started a cocktail blog. Um, really? You were a blogger? Called blueprintcocktail.com. Is it still around? I think it is. <laughs> Did I you think, sell it off years ago? No, I think, I think I still have it. I think it's still, I think it's still all set up, but I did it through WordPress. Yeah. And I domain mapped it, and I still I still keep the you know blueprint cocktail. Who says fish fans aren't tech savvy? And so I uh, and so I, but what I did is I I noticed that there was this in the blogosphere or whatnot mm-hmm. that there was a lot of chatter going on in the the those kind of early days of of what was going on, um, and I'd met Jeffrey Morgenthaler and 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 you know at the Vail Mixology Summit, and he was kind of a you know. Uh, I looked up to him and what he was doing and, you know, the fact that he could share these things online and yeah. had a lot of respect for him and, and had even more respect for him when I saw that it was a lot of work <laughs> and like even, even, you know, even, even with, with, WordPress, the pod, with still, what you would yeah. do with the podcast and what's well, a lot of work and it's like wrangling cats to do oh, interviews dude. and all this kind of stuff. So, cats. um, <laughs> so, so I get it. I, you know, I, I understand, but, but for me, there was like the mixology Monday, which was like, one Monday out of the month, there was a theme and, uh, you know, these bloggers from all over the place. And I, I think I might have been one of the only ones that was actually a bartender. Yeah. And so there was a lot of people that um, that that just wanted to make cocktails for the love of it. And Chuck Taggart, 
uh, with Gumbo Pages based in LA. I got to know him very well, and and so and I'm still you know close friends with those guys. And so mm-hmm. and so it's uh um it's to me it was a way to stay involved and to try to become relevant was get to were you trying or just doing your thing and i kind of wanted like i'm not gonna lie i kind of wanted my name to be recognized like i wanted to do something and i wanted to i i didn't know what it was but i wanted to do something important i didn't want to do something important because i wanted my name to be a household name right i wanted to do something important because i was like at this point in my life i'd just done all of these things and i wanted to do something that felt like it mattered right it felt like i belonged to something how do you feel about your name now I feel like sullied in the dirt. So yeah, just I, I've totally wrecked my reputation. <laughs> no, no. But uh, it's but but at, at that time I just wanted to I wanted to participate. I wanted to get involved. I wanted to be a part of this community and and yeah. do things and and learn and continue to learn from these people that I'm reading about and and seeing articles about and and so you know that was um so. So as I as I'm recuperating from my collarbone, my collarbone, yeah. and I I had surgeries and a plate and screws and all kinds of stuff put in, and so it's getting to the point where I'm about to be cleared to work again. Okay, and I'm just I'm kind of dreading it because I don't want to go back to the hotel. Hotel was great, but at that point, like the amount of separation, I was ready for something new. Yeah, and it just so happens that. In LA, there were these events called the radio rooms, and then before the USBG SoCal kind of came back into prominence, um, Marcos Teo had started uh, the um, Sporting Life. Sporting Life was just a a gathering of of spirits professionals, enthusiasts, mm-hmm. uh, people that just wanted to get together and pretty much just geek out yeah, yeah. on a brand's dime for a party, and it grew from like this small little community to sporting lives have gotten massive massive and so i went to i got invited to go to a radio room event and Kristen, my ex-wife i was like hey you got to come to this with me there's people i want to meet like i'm i was just excited to kind of i felt like i just got invited to like some secret club right right Friars Club. Yeah, I was yeah. like i was like you gotta you gotta come with me this is super cool we're gonna go drink fancy cocktails and yeah like, the basement of the Edison and it's going to be cool. And so we go and I can still, you know, remember all the people that I met that I, that I consider good industry friends to this day. Yeah. One in particular. And so Kristen and I were sitting there hanging out and all of a sudden I hear Kristen and this guy see each other. Obviously they knew each other Mm -hmm. and they're like, Hey, I haven't seen you in forever. I had no idea that you were in LA. Both of them pretty much said that. So it turns out that Kristen had known Eric Alperin of the Varnish. Ah, okay. They had met years prior um, because Eric took acting classes from one of Kristen's best friends, Daniel Licardo, at Rutgers University in New Jersey. No shit. And so Kristen was a part of a you know prestigious. Uh, Shakespeare uh, class back in the day. Yeah. So she and Danielle just happened to be in Europe while Eric and his brother and a couple other friends are in Amsterdam. So the first time that they all met was... In Europe? In Europe. 
No shit. So, in this very bizarre roundabout way, Kristen was the catalyst that introduced me to Eric Alperin. Yeah. That eventually, when I first met Eric Alperin, I looked him straight in the eye and shook his hand. Because, <laughs> pardon me, because he had handed me um, his his little business card for the uh-huh. varnish. Not open yet. But as soon as I heard that he was opening up a craft cocktail bar, I looked him straight in the eye and shook his hand. I was like, well, if you need a very good bartender, <laughs> I'd love to throw my hat in the ring. But if you want an average bartender, <laughs> that fucker over there. <laughs> <laughs> and so... And so I didn't get hired right away. Um, I got accepted to the Grand Marnier Vale Mixology Summit mm-hmm. uh, that was April of 2009. And then and then Eric Alperin was a part of that because Steve Olson. Back back to the pan, back Pan-Asian. To, back to Steve Olson. Fusion. Back, to, back to Mareggi. <laughs> yeah. Talk about like full circle this is almost fucked up how how like coincidental all this stuff is and and so so i go and i see eric alpern again bartending and i was like hey good to see you again hey about that job i'm still available what do you think (laughs) shoulders healed up i'm ready i can shake whatever you got put me in coach i'm ready to learn (laughs) and uh and obviously veil was great and you know whatnot two days later after i get home from the trip i get a phone call was pretty much like I, I felt like I got called up from the minors. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I got Willie Mays Hayes. Is that you? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got I got I got the call up, and then I I went and started training, and you know uh, my varnish experience, and that's when when I got there, I was like, holy, holy shit, this is this is amazing. Yeah. Everything that I've done has led to this, and this is this is, and it was also kind of like the refinement that I had long been needing mm-hmm. but didn't quite know how to do it and like the attention to detail that that i liked in my life but didn't couldn't quite there were so many things that were shown to me that were things that i didn't uh quite know how to articulate right and it was at that point where i was like i'm all in i'm all in and two shifts turned to three three shifts turned to four four shifts turned to five five shifts turned into me taking over as general manager did you guys you and eric like have this great rapport yeah kind of starting yeah we you know we pretty much connected right away yeah and um i guess did he trust you to he must have right to take care of this bar to be knowledgeable enough all of that absolutely and it was and it was more of a it was more of a me i mean obviously I, i like to use my words yeah but it was very much me showing that i was it was there was a lot of actions that were involved in me ultimately taking over that role yeah it was the it was the passion and and the the dedication and the the hard work that really you know the that really kind of led me to where i sit how long were you uh, at the varnish then so i started in 2009 and left in 2012 shit so good three to four years yeah and uh yeah three three and a half or so yeah and um and so you know and that was i mean it's what seemed like looking back on it it seemed like three very long years but (laughs) um but a lot happened in that realm and you know and having the opportunity to kind of helm that ship for essentially the last year plus that i was there yeah um 
and then ultimately, you know, us us winning that award and you know, and it's it was as much for said Moses, you know, who pretty much orchestrated the whole thing and then, you know, our incredible staff. It's like nobody and that's what was beautiful about it, is nobody no one person really got credit for all of it. It yeah. was it was very much a, a family affair. Is LA <clears throat> drinking different from Austin drinking? The people, the clientele? It, there's a lot more subsections of things to do. Yeah. Hollywood's very different than downtown. Sure. Um, West Whereas Side, in Austin, we're all white. Like that's it, right? It's kind of you know. It's sure <laughs> you've got like you've got kind of the the East Side, and then you've kind of got yeah very small districts, varying levels of whiteness. Very low, yeah. Very <laughs> varying levels of of Caucasian. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and in L.A., I mean, L.A. is like. Massive. Super culture. Yeah. Um, you know, Houston is probably more culturally diverse, but there's just something about LA that's got so much flavor. Yeah. And, but at the same time, like, you know, I remember before I moved out there, people were like, so you're moving to LA. Oh, I'd never go to LA. People suck. And I'm like, well, have you ever been there? And they're like, no, 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 no. I'm well, like, you well, gotta go. It's like, what, are, what, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, right. How can you judge a place that you've never been to? And so uh, everybody judges LA from south of the 10 and like Compton mm-hmm. or Hollywood. And those are two very small sections of a very large, you know, um, this kind of overarching thing. Well, it's and a so, massive city. Man. Massive. Yeah. And and it's like, you know what? There's going to be riffraff no matter what you do. Sure. And if you don't want to be a part of the riffraff, then don't get involved with the riffraff. Yeah. But... But for us, you know, I guess it was uh, it was very much. Um, I found my niche, and my niche was this bar community, and I got very, very involved. And by the time that I left, had you know, had just through my hard work and dedication, because a lot of people would get hired at one place, and something new would open, and they jump ship. Sure. And so when I started working at the varnish, I you stuck to it. I stuck to it. And had all this, opp- all this opportunity to go to the newest, latest thing. And I was like, nope, this is what I'm doing. And so I think that there's something to be said for loyalty these days and sticking yeah. something out. Whether, well, it, be, whether it be good or, or bad. Obviously, if it's a terrible situation, you got to well, take no, it Well, no, it's off, abusive. But. You got to get out of there. But that's what almost framed your whole, like, it framed your ability to be successful at AFSA. And I became known for... The varnish, yeah, and that was you know the the hard work that I put in there got me recognized. I've always perceived you to be a very real, accessible guy. That I didn't feel like you were ever hiding anything, you know. And I think that's really amazing. But but on the other hand, like a lot of people say, well, Chris is this. He's not a caricature, but he's a character of himself. And I feel like I've gotten into like a lot of like where you come from, fucking Kenny G. You talked about Kenny G. <laughs> That's pretty like, gra- well, like I said, it's like at, at this point I got nothing to lose. By you got nothing, right? Got, yeah. yeah, it's like I've got I've got nothing to hide anymore. You, it's like you, it's all out there. Like why not? I, and, and I feel that same way about about life in general, and, and especially what people in the public perceive us to be if we're in fact exposed to the public. But do you ever feel like maybe you are? Bostic, the amazing actor who creates this wonderful persona that he wants people to 
to absorb and understand and interact with? There's definitely there's definitely a varying levels of what you feel like the need to be, yeah. you know. And this this was something that kind of Kristen and I kind of dealt with was was you know it's like when I'm hosting a party, I want to be there for everybody, and so sometimes it's hard to it's hard to give you know my significant other, and that's this was a big problem was difficult for me yeah. is to be there as much for her as well in that moment. Yeah. Because I, I, I mean, I like I get caught up in the moment, you know. I, I like having a good time, and I like seeing other people having a good time. The English do, yeah, and, do, yeah. and so, and I love, I love being the the shepherd of good times. Yeah. Now that I'm about to be forty and kind of can reflect on, you know, on May fifteenth, on my thirties. <laughs> well, I remember when I turned when I turned thirty, I was like, thank God, adios twenties. Yeah. Don't let like, the door hit you in the riddance, ass. Good riddance, motherfuckers, right? Good fucking riddance. <laughs> and and it felt good because it, it was like it was almost like this this clean slate, this yeah. this refresher of of a certain kind of uh era. I was like, okay, the 20s are gone and the 30s are here. And it really did. It had a profound effect on my outlook and my the how I saw myself in the world. Yeah. And that was right around the time I started with It's Fonda San Miguel. And started taking cocktails seriously, you know, really delving into hospitality and, the, mm-hmm. and and whatnot. And so, so yeah, now that I I see the 40s coming up, I'm not afraid of it at all. If anything, I'm I'm looking forward to embracing that that decade of change or whatnot. Yeah. And and so you know, to so to me, it's like that. Being said, it's like I see myself now more real and genuine and more having the confidence to truly be myself more than ever yeah and and i, th- I think that coming that's just, into your own yeah and i think that that's i mean to full-on late bloomer yeah. you know and i've had you know moments in my life when really good things were happening and i was like oh i feel like i'm blooming late but but it but at the same time it's like i i, I believe that you know i believe that there's some wisdom starting to creep in god forbid god forbid <laughs> Well, I also consider consider you <laughs> an expert on agave, and you worked with Gila Ocho for a while, and Tomas hopefully will, will be in uh, next month, yep. which, will be, which will be incredible. Um, but you've picked a bottle. You could see through the, the, the deluge of mezcal on my rack, and you're like, I'm going to pick this one because it's the Real Minero Arakenio that William Scanlon the, the third. So gracefully got me. What do you think about Arakenio? Because we'll talk about it and we'll end this on agave talk. It's good. It's really good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is fifty plus ABV. Yeah, it's um. So, so uh, the Arakenios that I've had, and especially the um, this is the Del game Arakenio. Yeah, yeah. They they've got a capsicum zestiness. Nice, nice. That yeah. I think is extremely pleasant yeah and depending on what altitude they're from uh-huh. may I have fruitiness or whatnot this one again being the real Monero and yeah. you know uh um distilled in those clay amphorae looking jimmy right. jams um you get that minerality as well that the meatiness yeah. yeah i don't think it i don't think it those that method adds minerality as much as it helps to enhance the 
the minerality of the um, of the uh, of the plant itself right. kind of helps to accentuate the whole process and doesn't really strip much out of it, but allows it to pass through. Sure. During that, you know, yeah, you violent reaction that is distillation. <laughs> <laughs> violent yes it's certainly violent there's heat there's vapors there's yeah agitation totally there, there's all of it this are can you thank you so much for sipping with me yeah we're raising you glasses so i have one i think really important question for you the last question i've got for you so elvis costello has this motif this visual aesthetic motif with the glasses i don't think elvis costello needs to wear glasses i'm gonna say it right now I doubt he has any fucking vision problem with Elvis Costello. Write some good songs, <laughs> but he could write them without the glasses. So, are the glasses functional or are they form? Oh yeah, they're pure function. What what uh, what do you? Got? A little bit of form. Not okay. gonna lie, a little bit of form. Yeah, but I am blind as a bat. That's one thing that I inherited from my family, as well as a, a modicum of musical talent. <laughs> that's what I'm. That's that's my story, and I'm sticking yeah. to it. But the so terrible eyesight. I've got blue eyes, which are notoriously bad um, when it comes to quality of vision. Okay, and um, to the point where I also have pretty bad astigmatism. Me too. Yeah, yeah. And so wearing contacts is kind of difficult. I can wear them, but they're they're expensive. And yeah. And so I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I'm kind of tired of. I, I kept losing expensive sunglasses. Oh, shit. But I'd never once lost a pair of my own glasses mm. that I required for vision because I just, I, I would be completely screwed without them. Right. So I don't, like, they don't go, they don't go too far from me um, because I need them to see. Yeah. And so um, if I wore contacts and I'd have nice sunglasses, I'd lose them. So anyway, I got tired of wearing contacts. I was like, you know what? I want to do something that's kind of different. And I'd, I just, you know, I don't know where it came from. I think it was like, I think I made the joke of like, I'm, I think I'm going to try to work on my young Jack Nicholson look. <laughs> it all makes sense now. And so <laughs> and so I was like, okay, let's do this. And so I, I, I was like, I was like, you know what? And this was actually about four years ago. This was like right... Well, I guess it's about, I moved back in 2012. Yeah. As about four years ago now yeah. that I've had these things. And so I got them and I was like, you know what? I'm kind of into making bold moves these days. <laughs> and and I kind of wanted to just do it just to see what would happen. Yeah. But it also, it just kind of became, I didn't do it because I wanted it to become this kind of signature thing. Sure. But at the end of the day, it kind of worked. Just and I, grew into your face. It just grew part it, into your brain. Yeah. yeah, it just it's now it's just the part to where it's like I'm actually looking at new glasses right now, and I don't know. I'm kind of toying with the idea of not doing the colored lenses again. <gasps> oh, but shit, are you kidding me? But but at this point, it's almost like I kind of need to keep it's it up. The brand, it's the brand. You are the young Jack Nicholson. <laughs> we suspect that you're not really looking at us, right? Because they're kind of shaded. Like, is he looking off to the side or not? Yeah. I, I can't. I can't tell. <laughs> It's a and so it's brilliant branding maneuver. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, and like it's 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 kind of worked, but it but at the same time they're functional. Sure. My night vision is incredible. 
I I figure you can shoot laser beams from I those. I can things. shoot laser beams. You know, I'm 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 work. I need to work on the aperture of the laser <laughs> before I can take it worldwide. But yeah. Um. But yes, it's it's you know it's it's become a thing. It um, is. You've got a thing, man. <laughs> I don't get what like uh, most people don't have a thing. Michael Sanders has sarcasm. You've actually got like a visual artifact. <laughs> <that> people <laughs> people look at you. Brian Dressel has being tall. Yeah. But that's so, not a thing. That's not a thing. <laughs> so I, uh, but yeah. And so the, you know, I, I can't imagine myself wearing contacts again. And so, yeah. so they just, they just kind of stuck. And I, I mean, I, I can't, I can't lose these things. You're, are you I tried? <laughs> <laughs> I'll end it on this. Are you controlling the gla- glasses or, or are they controlling you? <laughs> <laughs> I think at the beginning it might have been they controlling me, yeah. but now, now I've after I've had um, a good amount of time to wrangle them in. There, there we go. Now it's now, all plastic. Yeah, now it's now it's all plastic. <laughs> we have we have become one together. <laughs> the dark and the light. Yes. So, man, it's you know it's been obviously we've been back and forth to try to get you in here to kind of chat and everything, but. It's been brilliant hearing about your story, and uh, you you'll continue to be, you know, one of the brightest, one of the smartest, one of the guys at the forefront of the movement of the cause. And you know, thanks so much for sipping mezcal with me and spending time with me. It's very very wonderful thing. I, I can't thank you enough. Well, it, it was an honor to uh, to be given a chance to kind of share my story and 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 have a have a, a place to. Kind of just let it go. <laughs> it's let nothing. It go, hey, it's nothing like a, kind of an informal chat. Yeah, and some mezcal to uh, kind of loosen the loosen the tongue up a little bit. So, so for that, I Vino think Veritas. Well. Thank you, Chris. Salud. Well, there we have it, everybody. Hope you guys enjoyed that chat with Chris Bostic. He does, in fact, need the glasses. They are not merely a fashion statement. It's great that it's Chris's fortieth birthday. This episode will drop on the sixteenth, but. As of right now, this moment, and hopefully for weeks after, we can celebrate the impact, the career, and the personality that Chris shares with all of us. You know, every now and again, I'll get to sit down and chat with people that have really lived it. They've been in this industry for a very, very long time, and Chris has seen it. He's established, he's influenced, and it's great that he is so open about this journey, and in fact, really, like, what kinds of tolls it's taken on his personal life. And I think it's a good way to see like, this is what people are going through. Operating a business is not easy. So thanks everybody for listening to Show to Be with Mike G. Let's all raise a glass to the fine Chris Bostic on his 40th birthday. And no matter which Marcona almonds you're scraping out of your teeth, which fine cocktail you'll order next at Half Sip down there on Rainy Street, please keep dancing.